Welcome to Leaders and Legends of Online Learning, a podcast dedicated to the experts. Thank you for listening. Each episode, we'll be learning from the world's leading thinkers and practitioners in online learning and linking to ideas relevant to online teaching, working with online learners, and digital education. You can listen to the experts and check their profiles and link to some of their work on our website, www.onlinelearninglegends.com. I'm Mark Nichols, the interviewer in this episode. You'll meet Professor Florence Martin in this episode. Florence has over 115 publications and up to 200 presentations in the areas of online teaching and education design. Her work emphasizes the importance of designing education, making the most of teaching possibilities. I'm talking with Professor Florence Martin, Professor of Learning, Design and Technology and Program Coordinator for the Learning, Design and Technology Doctoral Concentration with North Carolina State University. Florence is a well-published expert in the areas of transformative learning experiences, instructional design and online teaching. Florence, it's great to be talking with you. Same here, Mark. Uh, Can we start with a brief overview of your career and publications? I was a former network engineer. I just worked as a network engineer for a year um, after earning my bachelor's in electronics and communication engineering in India. Uh, When I came to go to graduate school in the United States, that's when I switched uh, to the College of Education and decided to pursue both my master's and doctoral degrees in educational technology. And uh, I think that's one of the best decisions I've ever made. I uh, went to grad school at Arizona State University. While I was at graduate school, I had no intention of going into academia to be a faculty. I wanted to go uh, consult or go to the industry. I immediately after graduation did some short consulting projects for Intel and uh, I did another project for the Maricopa Community College System in Arizona. Mm -hmm. It was at that time I decided maybe we should give academia a shot and then I got my first tenure track position uh, in North Carolina. I started teaching at University of North Carolina, Wilmington where I was there for seven years. And then at University of North Carolina, Charlotte, Mm. I was there for eight years. And currently I'm at North Carolina State University. This is my second year here. So I've taught in higher education for 17 years now. I must like North Carolina (laughs) uh, since I've just seemed to be moving to different universities within North Carolina. As a faculty, you know, the three main uh, responsibilities are to teach, do research and uh, service. And Uh, When I started teaching, I taught initially in a hybrid format and then moved on to online synchronous format because that's how the program was set up initially. The next program was more asynchronous. And then finally, now I can say I teach in a bichronous format, blending both synchronous and asynchronous. That's how uh, I define the term. And I research, you know, the area of online learning and digital learning. So I focus on the effective design and facilitation of online and digital learning. I would say initially I started uh, researching on online teaching and learning because I wanted research to inform my own teaching. Mm, uh, mm. That's how I got into it. So, you know, I started researching on synchronous online learning and then 
asynchronous and then I've done some studies now uh, on bichronous. And uh, for service too, you know, I try and connect my expertise and want to serve the community in the areas of uh, online teaching and learning. Um, so I uh, serve as a senior associate editor for the online learning journal. Mm-hmm. I serve on the advisory council for the North Carolina Virtual Public Schools here in North Carolina, which I think is the second largest uh, virtual public school in the U.S., which is for like K-12. Yeah. And then uh, I also have served as the past president for the Division of Distance uh, Learning for AECT. So that's just a very high-level overview of you know how I uh, connect to online teaching and learning in my faculty role. Um, and talking about publications, I actually just counted yesterday. Uh, uh, about half or a little more than half my publications are in the area of online teaching and learning. I have a little over 100 publications. Um, These are journal publications, not counting book chapters and other publications. And the rest of the publications, I would say I have several of them in the broader area of digital learning, um, like mobile learning, computer-based instruction, multimedia learning. And uh, more recently, I've been doing studies in the area of digital safety, which is Mm -hmm. also, you know, an effort to keep uh, learners safe online, especially the young ones. Mm -hmm. So that's a very broad overview of my uh, career trajectory and my publications. You packed a lot into about four minutes there, uh, Florence. Well done. So, yeah, over 115 publications, coming up to 200 presentations. You've been extremely active in terms of your research outputs and focused especially on instructional design, online teaching. It's really interesting to hear you uh, distinguish between asynchronous and synchronous. Can we talk a little bit about those differences? How would you actually place different models of education within those two terms? Oh, definitely. Uh, So synchronous is um, the real-time instruction, but students can still participate from anywhere. So it's uh, anywhere, but not anytime in real time. Um, So it has its benefits. Uh, I think, you know, as an instructor, you're able to meet the students at a given time. So there is some immediacy and relationship building that can happen. But it also has its challenges because, you know, you might have students from different time zones. Uh, I remember once uh, I had a, stu- a student who was um, who was based in Afghanistan. And so it was middle of the night, you know, so, and when I my class was scheduled in the evening. So, you know, those are some challenges. And there could be like technology challenges network issues, you know, for students to connect. So it has its pros and cons, all of these modalities, right? Whereas asynchronous is the anytime, anywhere online learning. So students are able to work on the courses at their own pace. Um, It has its benefits, but it also means they are a little more disconnected, even though you can design and develop engaging online learning, which, you know, which is very critical. uh, It's still not the same as being in a synchronous setting. So that's the asynchronous one. And uh, I also would like to introduce the third term, bichronous, Mm -hmm. uh, which is a relatively new term, which me and a group of colleagues coined in 2020. 20 to denote the blending of synchronous and asynchronous online learning. 
you know, the term blended has been around a lot longer, but the term blended could be blending of any two modalities and is most commonly used to describe the blending of face-to-face and online learning. So we found that there was a gap in the literature to denote the blending of synchronous and asynchronous, and that's where we came up with this term called bichronous. So researchers can really focus on how to do, you know, that better, blend these two modalities. Um, If you look in the research, a lot of times researchers tend to compare modalities, Mm. either face-to-face to to online or sync to async. So rather than comparing, taking uh, the best of the modalities and putting it together, right? So by Krinis, I would... um, call it as, you know, uh, other uh, research participants have described it as it's a happy medium. It's the best mm. of both worlds. So you take what works well in both the modalities and you put it together. Uh, so that's bichronous. So that's a modality where I've been studying a little bit now. You know, I've done a couple of studies. Mm. So that's synchronous, asynchronous, and bichronous online learning. <laughs> Great. It's really good to hear online learning distinguished in those terms because we tend to use it as a single descriptor for, uh, well, just online education but within that there's an incredible diversity of models Uh, and I think it's a rich enough ecosystem for all to exist and all to actually bring their benefits to bear across the educational landscape really really good to hear the research in that area so um, the ideas and themes your work has provided that you sense are still pertinent today you've got such a rich heritage to draw from what are some of the ideas that you'd really like to put forward I would say broadly, um, you know, I have been studying on uh, effective design and facilitation of online uh, teaching and learning, right? Mm. I have been looking looking at it more from the learner and instructor dimensions and not so much from like you know the organizational dimension yeah. um, so within the learner and instructor uh, or at the course level some of the topics that I have looked at um, you know I was trying to see within the flow of online teaching and learning you know I've looked at roles and competencies for online instructors mm-hmm. student and faculty readiness for online teaching and learning and this became very important during the pandemic because I had done these studies right before the pandemic. And so I would get requests from, you know, globally all over the world asking what does it take, you know, for an instructor or a student to be ready Hmm. for online learning or teaching. So, um, that's another area. And then uh, moving on, you know, design, I've looked at design elements. I think design is very critical. You know, uh, you can't just take a face-to-face course and put it online mm-hmm. and call it online <laughs> learning, right? Yeah, yeah. Which we saw happen quite a bit uh, during the pandemic. Uh, so design elements. And then um, after design, also engagement uh, uh which is very, very important. Uh, Again, you know, if you really want the students to succeed and stay connected and uh, complete the course, then there has to be a lot of engagement strategies. So I've done some work there. And facilitation, do I differentiate engagement and facilitation, which also overlaps. Engagement, I look at it from a student perspective. Um, Facilitation is truly like, you know, what does an instructor have to do from a Um, from their perspective to, you know, really engage the learner, what strategies can they use? And um, 
because the role of the instructor does not stop once uh, the course is designed. It actually begins at that point. They have to really be present in the course and facilitate learning. They just use different strategies compared to what is being used in a face-to-face setting. So I've done facilitation and then I've looked at some time management strategies, which is also very important because teaching online is different. So uh, instructors can easily get overwhelmed. So how can Mm. they manage their time Uh, especially when they teach it for the first time, right? That's the hardest part. Um, And then uh, more recently, I've looked at inclusion and equitable online teaching strategies. I think this is another important area. Uh, Giving some practical guidelines, you know, how can you make your course more inclusive and equitable? Um, I've looked at student satisfaction factors. So what makes, you know, the student uh, satisfied in the end? Student evaluation of online teaching. So that kind of is connected with it. And then another lens I've also looked at it through is I've interviewed award-winning online instructors, at least in a couple of different studies, Mm -hmm. to learn from them because I'm sure they have good takeaways, right, to share with the rest rest of us uh, what has worked for them. So I've done some studies um, uh, talking to the award-winning instructors, online instructors. So we conducted studies twice. The first time we talked to uh, instructors who had won awards for online teaching through professional organizations. There were some professional organizations who were giving out awards uh, for online teaching. And then the second time through their universities. You know, I was glad to see that there's uh, quite a number of universities who have specific awards just for online teaching Mm. and just not teaching, you know, which every university does. Um, So we have some good lessons we learned from them. And finally, I've also done some work on professional development for online instructors. So that's kind of the, you know, trajectory of different topics uh, that I have taken. I would call myself as a very applied or pragmatic researcher because um, I like focusing on strategies. So like when someone reads these articles, they can really look at the findings or, you know, there's always like an instrument development or they can, okay, I can take this and use as a checklist in my course. You know, Mm. can I do all this? So uh, that's how, you know, um, I I tend to work. I'm uh, now looking at assessment, um, making my way down. And then uh, another angle that I've looked at is um, I also love big, picture studies like you know the primary studies has its place but then I love big findings big picture findings so I've done a number of systematic reviews and meta-analysis and I I just again you know as I was getting ready for our talk today I counted and I've done 12 systematic reviews and meta-analysis all in the area of uh, online teaching and learning and one was actually a second order meta-analysis which is a meta of metas um, comparing face-to-face and online line um it was very interesting to do that. And we did find that there were no significant differences between online teaching and face-to-face, which is very important yes. because, you know, when it is well-designed, it should be both effective. So uh, that's one. Some other uh, systematic review, I'll just give you a few that uh, I've looked at is, I actually started out with synchronous online learning, then um, looked at learner satisfaction, uh, graduate online education. I also support, you know, uh, my students and other colleagues. So I have not led all of these studies myself, but then I've been, you know, part of teams uh, uh, working on these systematic reviews and meta-analysis. 
it's an incredibly rich vein of research you've been involved with and very comprehensive too. So you haven't actually found just one uh, general area or one specific area and run with it. You've taken quite a general theme and have explored it from many, many different angles. So online teachers, if, if you were to advise someone just getting started in this space, what are some of the key lessons that you would actually highlight for a beginner in the area? Online learning, when well-designed, is of comparable quality or even better yeah. compared to face-to-face, mainly because I think uh, there is so much of transparency in online learning. Mm. Everything is laid out, and uh, I would uh, recommend the new person to work with an instructional designer if they don't have instructional design skills to um you know, create quality online courses. I think uh, that is very, very important. Uh, two things I would call out is design is very critical. So, you know, when you design your online courses, make sure you uh, focus on the design, especially having, uh, like, you know, helping the learner get started and uh, the way you present your content, building in opportunities for engagement. Uh, also thinking through assessment and evaluation, which is different in an online setting, com- online courses compared to face-to-face and also giving the learner support, you know, which is mm. also might be different from what uh, they would need when they are online compared to face-to-face. So design is very critical. So focus on that. And then the second one I would say is also to focus on learner engagement. Mm. So engage the learner. And in, in the literature, you know, we use a lot of different term terminology here. You know, researchers have looked at through presence, which is very well known yeah. through the uh, community of inquiry framework. Interaction, you know, uh, the Moore's interaction framework is uh, 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 widely used. Uh, community, to build a community, that's important. Um, and then the communication, you know, we br- br- uh, briefly talked about the different uh, modalities based on, you know, the communication and then also collaboration. So different ways to engage uh, the learner. So I would tell this new person, focus on the design and then, you know, focus on the engagement. Mm-hmm. Excellent. I really like the caveat you put there, when well designed, which kind of brings us on to the next question. So at the moment, uh, we're coming up to the end of 2023. By the time this interview is released, it'll be early, mid-2024. So what are your observations about online learning and education at the present time? Are we designing well? So uh, I think, uh, you know, for every well-designed online course out there, there are not so many well-designed courses still. Um, (laughs) So because of that, you know, uh, there is this um, notion that online learning is not of the same quality, you know, Mm. even in like when when we are having this conversation in late 2023, that's still the case, right? So um, I would like to see that perspective change mm. that effort be put in that uh, or when online learning is designed it can be of good quality the myth that you know i think it's a myth that online learning is of less quality needs to be dispelled mm. um, especially i think we saw this during the pandemic like you know when emergency remote teaching happened and folks had to quickly mm. uh, shift um, um, we saw all kinds of like, you know, teaching and learning happening, but it does not quite equate to online teaching and learning, right? They didn't have the lead time. Mm. They just had to 
like do that quickly. Uh, so uh, I would say, yeah, there's still work for us to do. Um, and again, I think this differs in different parts of the world. Mm-hmm. My research is very US-centered, uh, you know, but then I've done workshops, you know, in, in different places. So, I mean, uh, there are still access issues. Uh, you know, not everybody has um, technology access or connectivity access. So there's a lot of access issues still exist and uh, instructional designers are not as common in other parts of the world. Uh, Faculty, a lot of times, uh, content experts or subject matter experts, you know, they are not trained in the pedagogy Mm. of how to design online teaching and learning. I mean, that's the case even when they go walk into a face-to-face class, right? Uh, Not a lot of doctoral programs prepare you with the skills for teaching as much as they like prepare you in your subject area. So um, I think, uh, you know, different parts of the world, there's still, you know, work to do. And I would say, I mean, we are we are making progress. I mean, you know, if you think about how long, like, you know, uh, since we've had the internet and LMSs mm-hmm. came into play, like what, like last 20 years to little more than 20 years, right? To an, like 25 years or maybe at the most 30 years, I want to say. Yeah. I think we've definitely come a long way from uh, what we saw in courses in the late 90s to right now. Uh, but um, I think we have a long way to go. Mm-hmm. And certainly the technology has shifted too in terms of um, the likes of the conversation we're having now. So full video streaming. Uh, it's it's un, not uncommon now for people to access Zoom and Teams meetings from their phones. So that, that technology is still marching on. How do you think that might shift things as we go? Do you think we'll see more human-to-human engagement, um, more synchronous teaching? I think, you know, asynchronous online uh, teaching has its place too. Mm. You know, not everything has to be synchronous. I think... Uh, Adult learners, especially, you know, they, I think, sign up for asynchronous online learning because uh, because of the flexibility and the convenience it offers. Mm. Um, if you can record a video and have them watch it at any time, right? So that is still like, you know, they can still watch the video. They still need to have the technology in place. It's just that they may or may not be doing it in real time. Mm. So I'm, I'm seeing a... a a lot of, you know, uh, older adults who come back, you know, to earn graduate degrees or even undergraduate degrees, uh, opting for asynchronous uh, online learning. But I think uh, sprinkling in some synchronous sessions here and there does help. You know, I would not say every week you want to, like, you know, have a synchronous session and be there and uh, for the full three hours. And, you know, uh, uh, I would definitely say don't lecture because, <laughs> you know, if you can, if you want to do that you might as well record and put it online Mm -hmm. right asynchronously in the lms for them to watch but then use the synchronous time for more meaningful discussions and conversations Mm -hmm. and engaging them uh, on other higher level learning activities right you could have more learner-learner interaction or uh, learner-instructor interaction. You can build in question and answer sessions or, you know, having them work on projects and apply their learning. So thinking through, uh, you know, different ways you can use that time. Mm. So I think both have its place. So even with technology advancement, that's why I think I'm pushing for this bikerness. Uh, Let me just refer 
back to that one study, you know, the first study, this is published in the internet and higher ed, uh, where we interviewed award-winning online instructors who taught using the Bikrunas online modality. And um, we saw models where, you know, all of them started with the asynchronous. So you cannot really teach a class just synchronously online right? Because there's so much that can be set up in an asynchronous format. You introduce the module, introduce the content, introduce the objectives, uh, and then have them even do the readings and then come to the synchronous session. Mm. So uh, we saw like model two sequential models, asynchronous, synchronous, and some of them went back to asynchronous to wrap up the week or the module. So have them complete more activities. Yeah. And then I think some did just async and sync. So I think truly uh, there should be an async element for them to do some aspect before you do a sync. Doesn't mean that all students are going to do it and come prepared when you have a sync. You know, that's like when you ask your students to read before they come to class face to face. So, um, you know, they might always, they all may not be ready all the time, but uh, I think uh, that's kind of expected. I've been really looking forward to asking this question of you, Florence, because you've done so much research and you're still active in so much research. What research would you most like to see done? Uh, you open up a journal, you find the perfect article. What's it about? You know, my research is, again, as I introduced it earlier, I focused more on the learner and the instructor lens a lot of times and at the course level. I think uh, I'd like to see more research done at the organizational level. Mm. So we did the systematic review, which is actually published in um, Computers and Ed. We, we looked at research themes in online teaching and learning and so what I found in that uh, review was there was not a whole lot done at the organizational level. So there were still gaps. Mm. Um, for example, looking at it from institutional support, leadership, policy, management. You know, we don't have clear policy still, right? I think that's another work in area that's a work in progress. So, um, or maybe there is some kind of research happening or work done that is not quite captured in the peer-reviewed journals. That could yeah. also be the case. Maybe just reports are written. So there are, you know, topics at the organizational level uh, that I would love to see, you know, studies on. Also, another area we found there were very few uh, studies were on access, culture, equity, inclusion, and ethics. So broadly, you know, I put so many important terms in there. So I think uh, that's also very important. And uh, looking at it from an ethical uh, consideration, a couple of things that I would like to call out is, you know, privacy and security is becoming more and more important um, uh, with more students taking courses online. So I think that's an area that uh, definitely needs further examination and uh, evolving of AI, you know, the generative AI, I think... uh, that's another area where I think we need more uh, looking at it from an ethical lens. Uh, you know, it has so much of benefits, but then it also comes with challenges. So how do we navigate this and make the most out of it, uh, specifically in online teaching and learning, right? Uh, I mm, think uh, mm. so that's another area I'd like to see in the next few years. Well, Florence, just to finish, two people you'd recommend as leaders or legends of online learning, one whose work or perspective is significantly influencing you now and one who you think otherwise might have an important perspective to share. 
I think you've already interviewed a <laughs> number of the <laughs> folks, uh, you know, I, I, I would mention. Uh, so I'm going to give you two names. Uh, both these folks, I would say, have will have important perspectives to share. Uh, one is uh, Dr. Jennifer Richardson. I didn't see her name on the list. Uh, I think I definitely consider her as a leader uh, in, uh, in her research is on the area of online teaching and learning. Uh, I remember Purdue, they created a Purdue report for online teaching and learning, including a number of best practices, which I thought was, uh, uh, which was a great project. And then I think she also researches uh, quite a bit in, on community of inquiry for online learning. Mm. So uh, Dr. Jennifer Richardson, and the second person I would recommend, and I don't think you have interviewed him yet, is Dr. Peter Shea. Uh, mm-hmm. Dr. Peter Shea is the editor of the online learning journal. So, um, uh, and he might have a very, you know, broader picture too as an editor and you know all the articles that come through uh, his journal and uh, he's he's also done some work on COI and you know he's uh, introduced learning presence mm-hmm. and um, studied also developing learning communities so I would say both uh, Dr. Jennifer Richardson and Dr. Peter Shea. Mm, excellent. Florence, it's been a fascinating conversation. Thank you so much for your pioneering work. Very exciting to hear the asynchronous, synchronous, bichronous um, mix introduced. Uh, thank you so much for being a leader and legend of online learning. Thank you, Mark. It was my pleasure talking to you. You can know more about Florence and her work from our website. That concludes this episode. Be sure to go to our website, www.onlinelearninglegends.com, to follow up on this episode's guest. You'll also find links to others whose ideas continue to inspire and teach online learning professionals, and you can subscribe to future interviews. If you know of a leader or legend we've not yet talked to, please do drop us a line at onlinelearninglegends at gmail.com. 